A few months ago, I sat in the eye doctor chair and I couldn't see anything. Uh, I already was having trouble seeing with my contacts in, but then they get to the point in the eye doctor exam where they say, take your contacts out. Uh, and then you're sitting in the chair and you can't see anything and the doctors aren't in there. You're waiting for the eye doctor to come in. That's the place I was at in my appointment. I'm sitting there and everything was just completely blurry. And all of a sudden there was a knock on the door and the doctor walked in. Uh, I could tell that a figure walked in. I couldn't tell if he was looking at me or not. Uh, I couldn't tell if he was smiling at me or not. Based on his, his words and the inflection in his voice, it, it kind of sounded like he was smiling at me. But I honestly... I couldn't see his face. Everything was just blurry. It's probably now that you're thinking, man, Pastor, you have really bad eyesight because from the chair to the door is not very far. And you're right, I do. And, and that's part of the reason why I was there. Because even with my contacts in, things were blurry. Uh, my contacts were irritating my eyes. And number three, I was on my last pair of contacts. And so if I wanted to continue to see, I needed to get more contacts. And so the, the eye doctor exam started and he's got the phoropter up against me and the lenses are switching. And he starts asking the familiar questions. Which one is clearer? One, click, or two? Again, one, click, or two, click. And by the end of the exam, he said, yep, your eyesight has worsened. And I said, yeah, I could have told you that, doc. <laughs> He uh, gave me a new prescription, and before I left, he gave me brand, two brand new contacts to put in my eyes to go. And when I put those in, I said, oh, this is what everything's supposed to look like. I can see the speed limit sign now, and it's not blurry. I can see people's facial expressions better. And they didn't irritate my eyes. And as I was thinking about that, doesn't that happen in life? Life seems to get blurry at times, especially with our purpose in life. When we were younger, life seemed to be pretty easy to figure out. Our purpose in life was easy, at least for me. My purpose in life was to finish the next grade. If I was a second grader, my purpose was to finish second grade, enjoy summer, then finish third grade, then go on to finish fourth grade, and then my purpose was to finish high school. And after I graduated high school, my purpose was to finish college. Then after I finished college, my purpose was to finish seminary. And after seminary, that's when things start to get blurry. What's my purpose here? And, and we try to grab onto all these different things, right, to give us purpose in life. Well, maybe my purpose is to work, and so we put all our energy into work, but soon we realize this really isn't doing it. This isn't it. So then we, we, we have kids and we raise kids and, and our purpose is to raise our kids and provide for our kids, but that only lasts a little while, really, on the grand scheme of things. So that can't be it. So then my purpose in life is I'm, I'm going to save up for retirement so I can retire and enjoy life. And then we retire and what happens? Well, now what? Now what's my purpose in life? Things get blurry. Life gets blurry. And if you've ever had that experience where, where your purpose in life is blurry, kind of like sitting in that eye doctor chair, then Paul's got some words for you today because he's going to tell you exactly what your purpose in life is. And we find that out in Romans chapter 12. We'll begin with verse 1. But beforehand, I want to give you background. Where have we been in Romans? Well, Romans 1 through 4, what did Paul hammer home? It's by grace you're saved. 
Not by your merits, not by your earning or deserving it, not because you're so great or so small. You are saved because of Jesus. Because He shed His blood for you on the cross. And through faith in Jesus as your Savior, you get all the benefits of what He's done. That's why you're saved. We saw in, in the first four chapters uh, that God changed our, our identity. No longer are we Mr. or Mrs. Sinner. We're Mr. or Mrs. Saint, Holy One in God's sight because we've had our sins forgiven through Jesus. We've seen that in our baptism, God changed our last name on the back of our jersey from our last name to His last name as He adopted us into His family. We've seen that last week we saw that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul now gets to this point. So what? Now what? Here's what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, in view of the compassion that He's had on you, in view of the grace that He has for you, Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That phrase is a little lost because what does our mind immediately go to? Living sacrifices. Do I have to kill an animal or something? What's this look like? What, is, what do we do? We're living sacrifice is kind of lost on us. Yes, we sacrifice our time. Yes, we sacrifice uh, some of our uh, money as we give to an, an offering. But what does this mean, a living sacrifice? Let's back up a bit because even though the phrase was lost on us, it was not lost on the people that Paul was writing to. They understood the sacrificial system very well. In the Old Testament, God had set up sacrifices for the Old Testament people, the, the Israelites. And there were many different kinds of sacrifices. And, and the one that we're probably most familiar with is the one for the forgiveness of sins. I would bring a lamb, goat, or bull, not me, a Jewish man would bring a lamb, goat, or bull to the altar of God, place his hands on top of that lamb, bull, or goat, and confess all of his sins and all of the sins of his family. And then he would slaughter that lamb, goat, or bull. It was a great object lesson for what God says the wages of sin is death. Sin deserves death, and it's either going to be me or something or someone else. And so the Jewish people got the seriousness of sin, because they had to come and confess their sins and sacrifice that lamb, goat, lamb, goat or bull on their behalf. And then they'd burn it, and that would be God's announcement to say, your sins are forgiven. That's not the sacrifice Paul's talking about here, because what was that sacrifice for us? Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect. We figuratively put our hands on Jesus' head and said, here are all my sins. And Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. And God announces to you and to me, your sins are forgiven. That sacrifice is done with. It's a one-time thing. Jesus has accomplished it for you, for me, for the world. This sacrifice is another one that the Old Testament people uh, performed. God set it up where they could just 
bring a praise, a thank offering. And so again, they'd bring a lamb or a goat from their flock, and they'd bring it to God, and they'd say, God, because of your mercies that you've had on me, because you've blessed me so incredibly much, because of your love and faithfulness, I want to give you praise and thanks, and so I'm going to offer you this goat or lamb. And they'd sacrifice it, and they'd say, thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. And that lamb, that goat, would be expensive. Because they didn't have money then. It, their currency was what? Their flock. The bigger the flock, the more rich that you were. And so you're bringing a part of your wealth, a big part of your wealth, and offering it to God, but you wanted to because look what God has done for us. Look at what He's done for me. Paul says, in the same way, offer your own selves as that living sacrifice. Don't, don't put yourself to death, but offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to give God thanks and praise. And this is your worship. Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. By living for Jesus, you worship God. What we do here on Sunday morning, this is definitely worshiping. We give God thanks and praise through song, through prayer. We, we give God worship as we listen to Him in His Word. But this isn't where worship ends. Worship doesn't end at 10.30 or 10.35. Worship is every moment of our lives. And why do we want to worship God? In view of His mercy. Because I'm seeing through the lens of grace and mercy. See, grace changes our lives and it changes the way I view life. And that's your first point this morning. Grace changes the way I view life. Now, every single situation I'm in, every circumstance that I find myself in, is an opportunity to worship God. I worship Him with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. Everything that I do is an opportunity to say, God, Here's thanks and praise for you by the way I live, by the way I think, by the way I talk, because of your mercy. Because I'm seeing through the lens of grace and mercy, I see that my purpose in life is to give you thanks, praise, and glory and worship you every minute of every day. So the words that I use to encourage my, my spouse and my kids, that's worship. The way I handle critique, worship. The words that come out of my mouth, worship. What I watch on TV, Worship. The way I treat my body. Worship. We worship God in every single situation in life. Everything we do can be a way to worship God and live for Him. I say no to sin, but yes to living for God, and that's worshiping Him. Paul expands on this thought in verses 9 through 21 in Romans chapter 12. Here's what he says. Love must be sincere, so not fake, hypocritical. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with, harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. 
Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All of this that Paul just mentioned is our way of worshiping God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, worshiping God. Thanks and praise and honor to to you, God, and I'm going to do good instead of doing evil because it's my way of worshiping you. Uh, Patience in affliction, worshiping God. Clinging on to what is good and hating what is evil, worshiping God. Every moment of my life is worshiping God. And why do I want to do that? What's my motivation? Because I'm seeing through the lens of God's grace and mercy. I see His grace. I know His mercy, His compassion for my life. So this is what I want to do because I'm so overcome with thanks and and praise for my God. But as Paul alluded to here, it's not just what we do, it's also what we don't do. And that's what he talks about in uh, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Have you seen this picture? All of you familiar with it? No? No? I love this picture because it, it, I mean, you can see it says right on the picture, do not conform. But this is a great picture for what Paul just said in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't swim with the school of fish, but swim the opposite way towards God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The only, way that would, the only thing that would make this picture a little more accurate is if there was like a giant whale or shark here with its mouth open, and then God was over here. Uh, because that's what happens, right? When you follow the pattern of this world and you don't have Jesus in your life, where does it lead? To destruction. When we follow God's way, when we follow Jesus, we get to eternal life. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. This is a way that we honor, worship, and thank our God. And yet if we're honest, how often don't we turn around and follow the pattern of this world. Why do we find ourselves following the pattern of this world? How often should you go back to the eye doctor? They tell you at least once a year, right? Or until your your eyes become blurry. How often should we come back to the Word of God so that we're seeing life clearly? Every day, right? If I'm not in the Word of God, what do I fail to realize? That I'm dependent on God for everything. That it's mercy that He gives me the breath that I breathe. That it's mercy that He gives me forgiveness. That it's mercy that He's conquered the grave. It's mercy that He's opened heaven for me. It's mercy after mercy after mercy. And if I fail to look through the lens of God's grace and mercy, and I take those off, things become very blurry very quickly. And so why 
It's because I take off that, those glasses, I take off those lens as I'm not in God's Word, and suddenly what happens? Suddenly, you can't really tell the difference between my priorities as a Christian and the priorities of my non-Christian neighbor. Soon, you can't tell the difference between the way I talk and the way my non-Christian neighbors talk. Soon, there's no difference of the way I escape stress and anxiety and fear and the way my non-Christian neighbor escapes stress, anxiety, and fear. And pretty soon, if I don't get back into God's Word to get my vision redone and looked at, what happens? My neighbor says, why, why do you get up on Sunday morning to go to church? Well, because I need to to go worship God. Well, well, why do you give offering on Sunday morning? Well, because I have to, otherwise my God's not happy. You see, suddenly my view of God changes as He becomes blurry. No longer do I see Him as the merciful God that He is, and I want to thank and praise Him. All of a sudden, He becomes somebody who is demanding of me. Somebody who wants to enforce rules on me. And if I don't make Him happy, then I'm in trouble. This is why Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewal of, my, of our minds. We need a thought shift. We need to change figures. And how do we do that? It's only by grace. It's grace that changes our mind. It's grace and mercy. And we need to get back into God's grace and back into His mercy to change our view, to, to make our view from blurry to seeing clearly again. There's a story of a, a seven-year-old boy uh, who had a dad and eventually he had a stepdad. His dad was an extremely fair man to a fault. His dad had for him expectations on the way he was supposed to behave in public, how he was supposed to behave at home, how he was supposed to behave at school. He had a list of chores that needed to be done every week. And at the end of the week, the dad would call his son in and sit down with him and say, how did you do this week, son? And he would go down his behavior in school, behavior in public, and behavior at home, and he'd see how many of the chores he got done. And if anything was off, if anything wasn't complete to his dad's satisfaction, he was met with yelling and punishment. The boy tried his hardest to get these things done and to behave. Why? Not because he loved his dad, but because he feared punishment. After a while, he grew to resent his dad and then hated his dad and then turned to every night praying that his dad would die. And that's exactly what happened. A year later, his dad had a massive heart attack and died. The weight that came off of his shoulders was extreme, and he felt free. But then his mom started dating another man, and he hated that man. The mom married that man, he became his stepdad, and the stepdad had expectations for the son. The stepdad expected him to behave a certain way and, and had chores for him to do. But suddenly the, the boy realized that there was a difference between his stepdad and his dad. When, when the boy failed, Instead of being met with yelling and punishment, it was met with a hug 
and his stepdad telling him, I love you and I forgive you. The boy misbehaved at, at school. The stepdad found out about it and, and the stepdad gave him a hug and said, I love you, I forgive you. And all of a sudden, the boy's heart began to change. And, and now he wanted to do the chores. Now he wanted to behave. Not because he loved doing chores, but because he loved his stepdad, who loved him. Let me ask you, how do you see God? Do you see God as, as dad number one? The dad who, who has rules for you and is fair, and when you screw up, he's going to punish you? Or do you see God for who He is? The loving, compassionate, tender-hearted, merciful God who when you fail, which we do every minute of every day, He wraps you in a big holy hug and says, I love you and I forgive you. Because that's who God is. And when we see God through the lens of grace and mercy like, we, like He is, we see Him clearly. And when we see Him clearly, it changes our mind and we want to love Him. We want to serve Him. We want to honor Him. We want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices because we love God because He first loved us. Suddenly people say, why do you get up to go to church on Sunday morning? Because I want to. Why do I give to church? Because I want to. Why don't you watch these shows? Because I don't want to. Because it doesn't give my God honor and praise and thanks. Why don't you do this? Because I don't want to. Why do you do that? Because I want to. Because it all gives glory to God and I just want to praise and thank Him because I'm so in love with Him because He loves me that much. And I only have that mindset when I look at Him through the eyes or through the lens of grace and mercy. When I'm seeing life clearly. And so here is your big point for today. Grace clarifies my purpose in life. Grace clarifies my purpose in life. It doesn't matter if you're 3 years old or 93 years old. You have the same exact purpose and that is to live for your God, to give Him honor, thanks, and praise in every minute of every life, it, of your life. It doesn't matter if you're, you're in affliction or if you're at peace. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You have the opportunity to live for your God. Why? because He's been so merciful and gracious to us. He has saved us from our sins. We can't help but want to live for Him. Amen. Amen. We'll just close right there. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You that You lived for us and that You died for us and that every single moment of every single day you have mercy and compassion on us and you wrap us in your holy hug when we fail you. We thank you that uh, you forgive us of our sins and that you love us and that you are always with us. Help us to always see you clearly so that we may always live to worship you in every aspect of our life. Be with us this week as we do just that. Amen.